Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Jane Hertzmark Huddis, the Executive Group President at the Estee Lauder Companies. Welcome, Jane. Thank you. I'm absolutely delighted to be here with you, Priya. We're so excited to have you, Jane. You know, as I said to you before we started, you know, I've been chasing you for some time and I'm so happy that you're here with us. And first, I want to congratulate you on your new role, which isn't so new anymore, right? Yes, it's um, maybe eight months ago I took on the new role. And so how has that been? How has the last eight months been? It's great. I mean, the the uh, it's been a very unusual time, to say the least. And um, I'm responsible for overseeing eight brands in the company globally and um, obviously steering them through this very unusual time, but also achieving great success because out of great challenges comes incredible opportunities. Jane, before we talk about, you know, what's going on in your current role, I would love to just kind of hear a little bit about your background. You know, so many people are very fond of you in the industry and, you know, I don't think they know the story of how you got started in beauty. So... Quite frankly, from a very early age, I was interested in art and design and culture. And that really has stayed with me throughout my life. And interestingly enough, uh, I'm a left brain, right brain person. And it just seemed to make sense to me that beauty was a business about art, culture, design. and, um, And so I had a gut instinct that that's what I wanted to do. And by a fluke and knowing someone years ago, I got my foot in the door, which is always the hardest part. And it's been an amazing career ever since. And when I started, I was a marketing manager on a brand called Prescriptives. So that's where I started. And three months after I joined, I actually got the job of overseeing all of marketing for Prescriptives just in the very, very beginning. So it was kind of a match made in heaven and an incredible opportunity. So you've been at the Estee Lauder companies almost your whole career, essentially. Almost. I had I worked in public relations for a couple of years straight out of college. Then I went and got my MBA at Columbia and then joined the Estee Lauder companies right after that. How would you say, I mean, obviously the company's changed quite a bit. You know, Prescriptus is no longer a brand, although I love that brand dearly. My mom was a huge fan um, and we've had Sylvie on this show before. But, you know, what do you think the biggest changes have been, you know, for you? It seems like you've really been taking on every opportunity at the company and you've watched it transform. Well, I think we're a company that gives people opportunities and we're also a company that believes in women. And so... Uh, I've had an extraordinary growth opportunity from the minute I walked through the door. I've had the opportunity to take on new challenges. Um, I spent years taking on new challenges within prescriptives and additional responsibility. Uh, I got thrown into the field because my boss at the time and Leonard Lauder felt that I needed to learn sales uh, after really honing my skills in, in marketing. I ended up overseeing origins and different brands over time and at one point was given the incredible opportunity to oversee the Estee Lauder brand and to run that, which was amazing. That was in 2009. And today, you know, it's it's a multi-branded opportunity. Now, how has the consumer changed? Completely. How has the industry changed? Completely. First of all, the one thing that hasn't changed is that women love beauty and women want to look beautiful and want to feel beautiful. And that has stood the test of time. So that's first and foremost. How people shop for beauty, 
the research you're able to do about ingredients and what products do, uh, the fact that we are able today to have a two-way discussion with a consumer and hear what's working and what's not. I mean, everything has been turned on its ear. And it's just as exciting and just as dynamic and today really changing at the speed of light. How would you say, you know, your role has changed in the sense that, you know, there's so much more information and obviously you're doing this for eight different brands. And, you know, how do you distill, especially in this environment when you can't necessarily go to the store like you used to and test and try um, what to pay attention to? Well, first of all, we are still testing and trying. So my my apartment is filled with lab samples and packaging comps, and I could open a store here. So um, nothing gets in our way of moving, you know, the brands and products forward. Um, but, you know, the reality is, is that I spend so much of my time, quite frankly, on social media, like, like a lot of our consumers spend time on social and the fact that it's so global, I can see what's happening in Korea or in China or in Paris or in London. And they take in all this information, not only in beauty, but in art and design and culture, as I said. And so um, I have a voracious appetite for all of it. And I try to be on top of not only our brands, but competitive brands and where the world is going so I can help steer my brands into the future. So you mentioned Origins a second ago, and, you know, that's still under your purview. And so many of what I would say, you know, Estee Lauder Company's hot street brands are like La Mer um, and so many of the skincare brands, Dr. Jart, of course. So, you know, in this pandemic period when, you know, everything has been turned on its head, what has it felt like driving, you know, the, the center of growth at the company? It's been incredibly exciting. You know, what's so great is that this has been a time where people have focused inward about being healthier. Wellness is a huge trend, as you know, and skincare is really hot. And people want to take the time to take care of their skin. And, you know, they have much more time in their bathroom because they're not on an airplane. And so it's been an amazing, amazing moment for skincare. I'm thrilled about that. And finding those opportunities have been amazing because on the one hand, it's been about you know, women going to their classics and the products they love. Things like Estee Lauder Advanced Night Repair, it's just been amazing. The, the creme in Creme de la Mer has been amazing. So initially, women flocked to, and men, to the products that they knew and they, they loved over time. And at the same time, they're incredibly interested in newness, like Dr. Jart. We're just in the middle of launching Dr. Jart in the UK at Boots. And the campaign is so extraordinary. It's a fantastic digital campaign. We're launching it totally online first because the stores are closed. And then the stores open up mid-April and it's going to be just totally amazing. And so people are interested in what's new now and their minds are opening up and wanting to see what the future holds. So uh, it's about the right products and the right markets and the right brands and the right opportunities really to make our consumers happy. You know, in your latest earnings, you know, I spoke to Jane Lauder about this a little bit, but, you know, obviously La Mer and your namesake brand saw like drove double digit growth. And that was, I believe, the second quarter that you all had done that. So I'm wondering, you know, from a consumer perspective, like it's interesting that you said that it's about the heroes, the ultimate skews. And I know that with QVC, you guys launched on QVC with Estee Lauder this week, and you're you're launching the night repair cream and and that suite of products. So how do you decide, you know, with brands like that, especially to 
innovate and maybe not take away from those hero skews, but at the same time, drive newness within the collection. Exactly. Well, that that is exactly the strategy. So it's really to focus on our hero products because first and foremost, these products are absolutely loved. And so they will drive the greatest amount of recruitment, which is new consumers to our brand, and repeat business, which is the loyalty to the products. So Advanced Night Repair and Creme de la Mer are great examples. However, we do innovate within those what we call franchises. So in Advanced Night Repair, you know, we will launch, for example, a new eye product or a new special serum product, etc. And so that really what we say halos the core, the core icon. And so that way we can drive newness and interest. And in Lauder, it's that. In La Mer, it's the concentrate. And so there are new products, but you're able to still reinforce the core products that people love. And it's a key part of our strategy. And yes, the Estee Lauder brand and La Mer have done you know, extraordinary well, extraordinarily well. And I'm very, very proud of the teams. And it's even not just for a quarter. It's been for some time now. So it's, it's super exciting. How would you say that you've adopted maybe some of the learnings that you've had in China or in Asia? Because I know you've had a very global purview to some of your other brands and, and and in this time, like what to do here in the States based on what's happening in live streaming or technology in Asia? Well, first of all, you know, the, the voracious appetite that Asians have for skincare has been an enormous lesson because, you know, whereas in the United States, we thought there was only sort of one step or two steps. People are really indulging in multiple steps. People are masking. They're taking more care of their skin. And so there are a lot of lessons that are coming here. The idea of watery lotions, which is definitely an Asian skincare trend, also is starting to be used here, especially by Gen Z and millennial consumers. So that's one aspect of it is is product trends and niche trends and new trends. Um, And on the other hand, The idea, China was the first market to go into virtual selling. And so we rolled, we immediately rolled that out around the world. As an example, you know, La Mer started that in China for VIP consumers, and we're now doing it in every single market, which is a great example. Another example is Bobby Brown, a makeup brand that I oversee that, you know, their world was always about having a makeup artist in a store. And, you know, one of the interesting things is what do you do about that once the stores are closed? Well, you take that experience online and they developed always on artistry, which is absolutely fantastic. So now you can go online and learn how to do a smoky eye or a nude lip, etc. And what's so great about that, I was talking about this the other day, is that when I used to go into a store and somebody would give me a face chart, I would come home and I would say, mm, how do I do this? <laughs> And now it's almost like having a pocket artist at home with you and you can learn how to do your makeup, you know, quietly and privately or in classes. And so there's some really interesting, cool things that have come, gone on over the last you know, few months that have really propelled our business and also for the better. It's almost like the evolution that was happening before is now very much on steroids. And so the idea is, especially when stores open up again, is to create an incredible total experience that a consumer loves from start to finish. If she's at home and she shops, you know, on her iPad, great. If she comes into the store and we can offer her wonderful services, great. We need to make the whole circle 360 degrees work for her. And that's what we're dedicated to making happen. 
So do you think the idea of, you know, maybe doing a virtual try-on in a Sephora or clicking on a QR code and then take, being taken to content is going to become much more the norm post? Without question. I mean, absolutely. That whole process of making it, you know, seamless, clicking on a QR code, you know, the fact that you actually can try on lipsticks and know what it looks like on your lips, um, the fact that you can select a foundation, it's just made the process so much easier and I'm delighted. Um, And that will only go further and further in terms of AI and new kinds of experiences and the idea of personalization and customization, which was really the hallmark you know, of what a beauty advisor, makeup artist, consultants would do in store. The fact that you can drive that personalization online and create that special experience is really what makes the prestige beauty industry what it is. And it makes us, that's our North Star to make it all work. Because it was never, when Mrs. Lauder founded our company, it was never just about the extraordinary product. It was about the service that went with it. She always focused on what product to use and how to use it. When you think about personalization and customization, you know that those words get thrown around a lot and they mean different things to different companies. How, How would you, what does it mean to you at the Estee Lauder companies? First and foremost, it means having the right fit. So women need to be educated about their skin. So the idea is in the simplest terms, if you have oily skin, you don't want to use a cream that's super you know, for dry skin, you will not be happy. So the idea of the right moisturizer or the right formula of foundation or the right shade of foundation, that's sort of job one, because if we don't fit you with the right products, you're going to have a bad experience and you might not come back. So that's sort of table stakes. Beyond that, it's about having the right message to the right consumer at the right time about what she's interested in. And so that's the the sort of second piece of this put very simplistically. And so, um, but both are, both are really necessary and great opportunities to do better and better for consumers. Jane, a second ago, you mentioned what prestige beauty means to the Estee Lauder companies. And I know that, you know, you for very much are the only pure play prestige beauty conglomerate out there. Um, And I'm wondering, like, what you think is happening right now, because there does seem to be a little bit of a consolidation in the sense that, you know, Sephora is going into Kohl's, Ulta is going into Target, you know, you know, you just mentioned Dr. Jart being in Boots a second ago, Estee Lauder's on QVC, I could name a million more options, but and then obviously your increased investment in Decium, which will become a full acquisition um, in a few years. So what do you think is happening big picture? And what do you think that means for you at at ELC? So first of all, we will continue to be uh, a pure play focused on prestige and luxury. And quite frankly, the luxury business is booming and people want more and more luxury and more and more luxury experiences. And so luxury is quite frankly here to stay. So that's one piece of it. The other side of it is that the accessibility of beauty and the ability to buy beauty is also a parallel trend, which is why there are all of these distribution, new opportunities, et cetera, because it's about getting new consumers, especially getting them online, but also getting them in store. What the idea is in our our company is to match the right brand with the right level of distribution, because not all brands are the same. So if I give you an example, you know, creme de la mer is in a very limited number of doors 
globally because the idea is to, first of all, be where that VIP consumer is. And secondly, to build the productivity of those doors uh, rather than just rolling something out because it would be not right for the brand. If you think of Hermes or if you think of other luxury brands, it's a, it's a similar idea. Whereas Dr. Jart, Dr. Jart plays at uh, the entry point of prestige. So for them, Boots is right. And for them, Sephora is right. And for them, Sephora uh, at Kohl's is right. So it really is about matching the brand, the experience, the consumer in order to drive, you know, trial, repeat and consumers to our brands. But each brand is different and not not every strategy is different. Every every brand is different. We are really brand builders and we're also brand builders over time. So the idea is that we're really focused on sustainable and profitable growth. And that's our mission. And we don't just roll out distribution to do it or to get sales and shipments or whatever. It's really strategic and long-term. How have you felt about, you know, maybe the consolidation, I guess, in the digital space as well? Because it's not just, you know, brandsite.com, but you can shop through Instagram shopping. Some brands are like linking their sites on TikTok. Like, what are you thinking about that kind of evolution as well? Well, I think it's an enormous part of what's happening now and will continue to happen. And, you know, whether it's shopping off of WeChat or shopping off of TikTok, Instagram, um, I'm actually enjoying all that myself. So I think it's it's absolutely the way of the world. However, what that means with lower barriers to entry and everybody can kind of get into that. It's not like the olden days of Neiman Marcus wouldn't carry this product. So distribution is not defining the luxury experience. So quite frankly, you have to take that element that was defined by going to Bergdorf's, going to Neiman's, going to Harrods, and you now... We need to uh, upgrade and really make sure that the creativity, the experience, the aspiration, all of the touch points are even that much greater in the digital world in order to continue to support the prestige luxury position. Do you think that the digital experience matches the prestige environment of traditional retail yet? Not yet. I think we're not there yet. I think we're just at the beginning of that journey and we have a lot to do because it really is about an experience at every point in the cycle. So it's everything from how you order, how you learn about the product, how you're engaged, how you're entertained, because we're media companies at the same time now. What is your experience of receiving the product at home? How fast do you get it? How is it packaged? You know, is sustainability, you know, addressed? So there's much more work to do. Absolutely. We're only at the beginning of that journey. And when you think about partners, obviously, they've always been very important to your companies and your brands. But, you know, how do you decide, you know, what you want to dish out or shill on your own site versus a Sephora.com or a Boots.com, like to make sure that all of that is synergistic and holistic? So Brand.com for us is the ultimate prestige experience. So if you think of it as sort of a flagship door and a flag waiver and a media channel for us, that's how we think of brand.com, that that's the ultimate, ultimate experience. And our goal is to be able to bring that level of experience with us to our retail partners. And in some cases, we're making some of that happen. Uh, and other cases, we have lots more to do to improve that experience. So uh, I would say we're just, again, at the beginning of that as well. 
When you think about, obviously, some of your brands obviously are in hair care, like Mumble and Bumble and Aveda, you know, I think it's interesting. Makeup was really the thing that was being driven on social media like Instagram. And now we're seeing skincare really fly with TikTok. When you think about hair care, especially with so, it's very much like skin in that way. How are you kind of dictating and explaining to customers all the benefits, all the products that you have? Like, what's that been looking like for those brands? It's funny, skin, uh, hair care is a bit like skincare, as you point out, because there's a wellness piece of it. But it's also like makeup in the sense that hair has become a part of the total social media experience. So people used to really be focused on makeup. Then they're focused on skincare. And now hair care has joined the party. So uh, the way we think about it is twofold. One is, again, focusing on our heroes and making it known what they do, what's in, in them, especially in Aveda. I mean, we go so deep into the ingredients, how they're formulated, how they're plant-powered, uh, because you know consumers are, are thirsty for this type of knowledge. At the same time, they want to see, how can I try on Aveda hair color and see what I look like with colored tips and how, how can I play? And so in that way, it's also like makeup. And um, hair has been growing, you know, very strong double digits for the last couple of years. I think with hair salons closed during this period, the appetite for learning about hair has just totally increased. And I think that momentum will continue. Do you think it's been um, beneficial or challenging or both, I would say, you know, because Aveda and Bumble and Bumble both have those salon roots. And so you have the... Um, prestige and efficacy and statement of approval with customers, but now we're kind of transferring that all at home. What's that been like for those brands? Well, you know, the salons have been partially open, okay? So for those people who can get an appointment and are willing to be, you know, 25% occupied and all of that, there's still a hunger and thirst because you know what, what you learn in a salon, the knowledge there is just that much greater. And you also have that trust and personal relationship. We've been taking our hair artists and putting them online in both brands uh, to provide more instruction. But I think at the end of the day, everybody is gonna head for the salon again to get that information and the, have the experience with the person they trust. And, um, and that will come very, very soon. And just like women are gonna wanna shop, this notion that women are not gonna go back into the stores, it's just not true, okay? I mean. <laughs> I've got my sneakers on. I'm ready to go, you know, <laughs> because we want to get back to life and and the life as we know it. And and even if it's different going forward, and even if you know, one of the amazing things about this time is that all ages are shopping online. It used to be for younger people. Now, all the way up to the ageless consumer, everybody is finding a way to shop, and that really shows the thirst and and hunger that everybody has to make purchases. But I do believe that people are going to go back to the salon and back into the store. And it may be a different experience, but they're still going to want to go. I mean, I think people want to live life to its fullest. And I think shopping is a big part of that. Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm assured that we're all going to be wearing like stilettos and red lipstick in a few months. <laughs> I, that's exactly word for word of what I've been saying is that high heels, dressed up, makeup, because makeup is now going to come back because everybody's going to put loads of makeup on. And uh, it's going to be an amazing time and people are going to want to enjoy and, uh, and get dressed up. 
I agree. When you think about your makeup brands, do you think that that store piece, you know, whether it's Bobby Brown or um, Origins, you know, that maybe have been the more detrimental piece in the last in the last year, I would say, is that you weren't able to necessarily try on that red lipstick or try on that crimson blush. I think the fact that you you can't try it on and, and makeup is so impulsive. So the way you shop for makeup is so different from skincare. Skincare can be much more planned and it's much more left brain. And makeup is much more right brain. I see it. I want to try it. It's like candy. And so I do think that's been a piece of it. I also think in reality, um, unless you're wearing a Bobbi Brown tinted lip balm, it's all going to come off, you know, on your mask. So I think that's a bit of a turnoff. And I think that uh, going forward, people are really going to have a great time with makeup. Let's shift gears a little bit, Jane. You know, I um, kind of at the top of the conversation, we talked about your promotion, but also, you know, Estee Lauder Companies has done quite a bit of work around how they want to champion women, how you want to make sure that that funnel is is available to women. I believe it's 84% of the company is women. So what has that kind of been looking like for you, especially since, you know, you've gotten to this point, you've gotten to this pinnacle and probably are very much of an aspiration and inspiration to so many young leaders in the company? This is a huge mission of mine to care for the women of our company, to give back and to help lead them to success. Um, so in two, first of all, I, as I told you, I ran Estee Lauder. And when I ran it starting in 2009, I really channeled Estee a lot. Um, I knew her, I met her. And uh, obviously I'm also very close with Aaron Lauder and Jane Lauder. So the Lauder family, and, and great women in the Lauder family has really been a part of, of who we are. And I was telling her story over and over again because I felt that that needed to come back into the brand, that we needed to talk about the fact that she worked at a time when women didn't work. She started a company when there were very few female entrepreneurs. And I started really channeling um, her thoughts, her ideas, her indefatigable attitude, her pursuit of excellence, so many things that really embody everything that Estee was about. And when I got promoted about five years ago, six years ago, I said, you know what, I really want to give back to the women of this company. So I had always been mentoring women and trying to bring women along, but I said I wanted to really start something formal. So I decided that, uh, you know, we have various employee resource groups within our company and I thought it was the moment to really get back to women. And that thought was challenged a bit because we're 84% women. Um, but I did indeed partner with our CFO, Tracy Travis, and eventually Sarah Moss, our vice chairman, to start the Women's Leadership Network. And so, um, and what this was about was bringing women together with the goal to mentor great talent, and sponsor great talent. And we all know that women have a language that only we know what that is. And the idea to really open up the conversation, to provide speakers, to provide learning opportunities, but real growth opportunities was really in my mind when I started it. And today we have over 2000 members. Uh, we've launched in the US, we've launched in the UK, we've launched in France. We just launched a week ago in Latin America and uh, we're going to launch in Asia Pacific in a few months. And there are local chapters that do the same thing, that put on the programs and, you know, put forth all of these programs for women. And, 
one of them actually that's we've we've done in New York was headed by Sarah Moss, which is called Open Doors that provides increased learning opportunities for women. And uh, this really is a big mission. And why not? Right. If we're if we were founded by Mrs. Estee Lauder, shouldn't we be the best? So we want to be the best home for talent, the best place to build your career, the best place to have women and opportunities. So I just felt uh, it was just part of what I wanted to do for the company. And then informally, I mentor tons of women privately. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm sure you have a lot more Zoom calls these days, especially since all of this is like on is virtual. Um, Jane, how has that take come to life, I guess, in, in this moment? Because I feel like we all know, or we're learning more and more about millennial and Gen Z shoppers, and they care about company values more than anything. And so, and making sure that they practice what they preach. So I guess from your perspective, how much of it is in line with what shoppers want, what consumers want, and you know, just what the, the leaders at your company want? I feel it's right on target. And I have to give our CEO, Fabrizio Freda, credit. He started... Um, the reverse mentor program. So each of us years ago were given reverse mentors basically in their 20s or 30s. And so uh, you may have heard about it, but the idea is originally it was to teach us all about social media, but we're way past that now. But the idea is what is it like to be in each other's shoes? And I think that that's really transformed our point of view, all of us uh, at all different ages and all different stages to say, you know what, the youth of this company, it really matters. And we are have so many programs that we've created as a company to, um, to address many of the issues that young people care about. But one of the things that has always been a part of us is believing that we're a family company and we care for others and we give back. Giving back has been a part of us from the very beginning, whether it was from the Breast Cancer Research Foundation or the uh, charity that Leonard and Ronald Lauder started, ADDF for Alzheimer's. Um, so that's been a part of it, but now it's in a deep and fundamental way across generations, you know, across ethnicities, across you know, men, women. It's become a much cent- more central part of what we do, and from caring about sustainability to caring about women who are, you know, we have an incredible pregnancy policy to really being focused and, and have real teeth in programs around inclusion, diversity, and equity. And I know you've probably read, we have a, sort of a bit of a manifesto that Sarah Moss put out a couple of weeks ago. And so I really, I feel it has enormous teeth. It's real. I'm super proud of what our company's doing. And I think it's the real deal. Jane, when you think about, you know, communicating all of that, because this is always such a tricky thing, and I think about this a lot because companies, you know, kind of market their initiatives and value, without maybe doing the work. And it seems like you all are obviously doing the work, but how do you decide what to tell the customer about these things? Or do you do it ongoing or do you do it once you've accomplished something? Like, how do you decide? Well, you know, we have two levels of communication in our company. One is brand by brand. So, you know, you can talk about a brand like Aveda that gives back um, and has to the environment for since its inception, uh, or you talk about the La Mer Blue Heart program. So each brand has certain charitable efforts that they're involved in that they communicate to the consumer. In terms of our company, it's only several years ago that we started to communicate as the Estee Lauder companies. 
And that is a new level of communication that talks about our company and what we stand for. And so there are different, you know, investors are interested in that. Sometimes consumers are interested in that and can go on our company website. Um, and it helps bring our company together around a common set of values. So although Mac may give back in one way and Lauder may give back in another way and Origins may give back in another way, um, and the consumers do hear about that all the time. We all give back in the ways that matter to our company and to our consumer and to our investors. And so that has really added another level. And it's really a beautiful thing. And I will tell you that the company is really committed also to educating all of the employees, because not everybody knows about everything um, and how we can do better and how we can do better as a company and the commitment around purpose uh, is absolutely enormous. And I think that everybody feels it throughout the company and we're really evolving. As you think about this next year, Jane, I'm wondering, you know, it seems like skincare is still going to be on fire. It seems like you guys can do no wrong in that arena. Like what are your key goals as you think about, you know, maybe May, everybody's going to be vaccinated. We can all go back to life as we know it, um, going back to the office or, you know, just going back into the store. Like what are your, you know, hopes and goals for the rest of 2021? Well, first and foremost, I think we've become, I've become a more sensitive and more caring leader. And I think that happened through this time. I mean, I've always thought of myself as caring, but I think it really went to a new level of caring about people personally and professionally. You know, some people may have been ill, some may have had family members that were ill. So I think that that has transformed uh, the senior leadership of our company to be more caring and understanding of whether you're a working mother, whether you can't necessarily be at a particular meeting. And so that idea of bringing that forward is super important to me because if, even though you step foot in the office and probably in the stilettos, um, <laughs> that aspect of understanding of our employees, our consumers, and where their head might be, uh, I think is is really important. And in terms of the business per se, the goal really is to keep the momentum going in, in skincare and hair care, which we have today, and then find the right opportunities in makeup so that we're really, and fragrance also is happening today. So uh, make us sing across all four categories in the right way, because that's, that's the orchestra we're going to conduct. Jane, last question. I know I've kept you on for too long, but um, we've talked a lot about the company, the ethos, and I just have to ask, you know, what is your take on Gen Z and how are you trying to bring them in? Because, you know, we talked a little bit about the luxury price point, the prestige price point, maybe a Decium or a Dr. Jar is where they're kind of entering, but how are you trying to entice them to become ELC customers? So I think that's a great question. And the Gen Z consumer is super important to us. First of all, to begin with, we have brands that are more focused on the Gen Z consumer, like Too Faced, you know, at some point, Decium, Dr. Jart. So we have brands that are more focused there to begin with. But almost all of our brands are focused in on bringing in Gen Z. And that might be a Gen Z consumer in China, to which there's an absolute huge influx of Gen Z's trying really beauty for the very first time, that's one way. Another way is making sure that in many of our brands, we have affordable price points or small sizes to bring them in. Uh, another way is making sure that we are incredibly digitally savvy because they were born that way. 
and uh, we need to meet them, whether it's on TikTok or whether it's on WeChat or a little red book, um, we need to meet them with the right message, the right creative to really get them going. And um, they're, they're our future. So if we don't bring them in now, you know, it, this, is, this is the moment. So we're, we're extremely focused on that. And really, but the largest group of Gen Zs come in uh, through China because they're just emerging, they're growing up, and they're coming into the beauty category. One interesting example about Gen Zs is that um, uh, La Mer is sold in approximately 50 Sephora doors in the United States. And we made a special small size, which to bring that consumer in. And in fact, we got lots and lots and lots of consumers that way by having a more entry price point, even in a luxury brand. I'm sure that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's funny, I heard this anecdotally, but when um, Sephora launched Afterpay or, or one of the programs, you know, they weren't just, bu- they were buying tons of La <laughs> So I'm sure that that is definitely fodder to entice them. Well, for sure. That all of the, the payment options is one way lower price points to just try a product because they're not buying a large size. They're trying to, you know, they're experimenting like crazy. So making that easy and affordable for a Gen Z consumer is, you know, job one. And so what you have to think about is how by brand, because we're a brand led company, we address from Gen Z to ageless. We address from skincare to luxury skincare, to makeup, to fragrance, to hair care and how we do that in different geographies around the world. And we always talk about the idea of multiple engines of growth, and we have that within brands, and we have that among our portfolio, and our goal is to really have the best portfolio in the world and to truly delight our consumers. Thank you so much, Jane. It was such a pleasure having you today. Thank you, Priya. You are amazing. This was long overdue and an absolute delight, and I thank you so much, and your questions were fantastic. So thank Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.